Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. This Sunday is, well, it's one of my favorites uh, as a Byzantine priest, but also as an artist who does Byzantine art. I do all kinds of art, actually, but I certainly do Byzantine art. And because of my perspective, the liturgical sacramental worldview that I like to promote on this program, I like this Sunday very much. It's a Sunday of the Seventh Ecumenical Council. There were seven great councils in the history of the church, but in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we celebrate all six of them on one particular Sunday. We also commemorate them individually, but there's one Sunday which we celebrate all six. But then there's a Sunday like this one that we pull one of those aside. That's the seventh ecumenical council, which happened in the eighth century. And we pull that one aside and we look at it in a special way. Now, why is it special? Well, a little bit of history on this. This council was held in 787 in Nicaea in the reign of the Empress Irene and her son Constantine. Again, this is in the Byzantine Empire. And in the time of Patriarch Tarasius, the council upheld the veneration of icons, expounding it from Scripture, the witness of the Holy Fathers, and examples of miracles in connection with the icons. Among other examples cited, the Cypriot bishop Constantine brought forward this story. A herdsman from the city of Constantia, driving his flock out to pasture one day, saw an icon of the Mother of God, adorned with flowers by the devout people. Why give so much honor to a rock, said the herdsman, obviously brought up in the iconoclasm. Now, iconoclasm was those who were against the portrayal of images or icons because of a misreading of scripture and other reasons as well. So, he obviously was an iconoclast. He threw his iron stave at the icon damaging the right eye of the mother of God. As soon as he had left that spot, he stumbled over the same stave and put out his own right eye. Returning blinded to the city, he cried out tearfully that it was punishment for the mother of God. The council also decided that the relics of the martyrs be placed in the Antimension. Now, this is a, what we call an altar cloth. It's a 
shroud or cloth, the image of Christ on there as it was taken down from the cross. And in it is sewn relics of a saint. And that cloth is used on the top of the altar, the main altar, the altar of sacrifice in the Byzantine churches. And a relic is sewn into that cloth. And on top of that cloth is where the chalice is placed with a discos. In other words, the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of Christ. And it has to happen while on top of that cross. In the Latin rite, they had what was called the altar stone, where they would actually cut out a piece of the altar. Usually it was made out of stone, the altar and they would place the relic in there. Well, in the Eastern churches, we put the relic in the cloth, and that cloth is folded up, and it sits and lays underneath the gospel book, which lays on top of it on the altar. Then, of course, during the liturgy, the gospel book is taken and stood up on the altar, and the antimension is unfolded in preparation for accommodating the chalice and discos with the bread and wine that will become the body and blood of Christ. But the council was famous, as you just heard, for the vindication of icons. In other words, that we could actually paint images in paint or stone, like mosaic and so on, of Christ, never God the Father, the Holy Spirit. We can indicate the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove or fiery tongue, but we can only really paint an image of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, because God, in the second person of Jesus Christ, of course, became human, therefore he became an image an image of the Father, and a human image. We can paint the Virgin Mary because she was a human image. She was real. We could see her. And there was also the saints and the angels. So those things can be depicted along with other types of designs from nature and geometry and so on used for decorative purposes. We can use those images to, in fact, draw us to prayer, immerse us in the mystery in which they represent. Now, there was a misreading of Scripture where God tells the Jewish people, do not make graven images, do not worship any images, only worship me. Well, of course, God, the same God, told the Israelites to put cherubim, in other words, angels around the Ark of the Covenant. So God did allow images for devotion, for what is holy. And later on in the New Testament, the New Testament speaks of Jesus as being the image of the Father, the image of God, and we made in the image of Christ. So the idea of image is used both in terms of Christ imaging the Father, and also that we too are images of Jesus Christ. We're made in the image and likeness of God. So because God himself became an image in the person of Jesus Christ, taking on human form, we too can present and make images of the image as well as images of saints and the Virgin Mary, as I mentioned before, and angels. And we don't worship those images. They are vehicles for worship. They're conduits. They help make present the reality that they depict. And our devotion goes through that icon, that image, to the reality of the person it depicts. So they're connectors between heaven and earth. Now, why is this so important? And why is this council that vindicated icons from the false teaching, from what was the iconoclast heresy, that basically means icon smashers. In fact, that's what actually would happen. They'd go especially to monasteries. They'd beat up the monks, even killed some, and smash the icons. Again, it was a misreading of Scripture and a heresy. It's one of the many heresies. That's what councils were for. They were to overcome heresies and to define the true teaching of the church on different matters, largely having to do with Jesus Christ, he as God and man, but also this council having to do with imagery or art. Also at this time, 
Islam had come into being, and Islam rejected any kind of image of God, any kind of images at all. It just uses designs. And so we had raging at this time this iconoclastic mentality. Why, again, is it important? It's important because, and this is why this council, the Seventh Ecumenical Council in the 8th century, is set apart as special. Because if we cannot make images of Christ who became an image himself, if we cannot do that, then in in a way it's like denying the incarnation. It's denying that God did in fact become fully human. He did become incarnate. And if we deny that, that is the one great central mystery, then everything takes on a different and lesser meaning, almost becoming meaningless. Because this great mystery of the God, the invisible God, revealed become visible through his own physical creation. That is the great mystery, hidden from all time and eventually revealed, hinted at by God in the Old Testament. Remember, God would reveal his presence through a column of fire or a burning bush, a voice, the wind, miraculous changes of poisonous water into clean water by means of a stick, Moses putting a stick in the water. So there were things from nature that revealed God, but not in as full a way as we have in the New Testament, where God becomes fully present to us in the form of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity becomes incarnate. Now that means that our nature becomes infused with the presence of God. It is elevated, and with it all of nature. So The great mystery of the Incarnation actually gives us the blueprint for the one and only right way to see everything and everybody. And that means we see everything and everybody as in some way participating, being infused with, pointing to the presence of God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Imagine that. And to be able to paint images that point to the image, the incarnation, is a way of affirming that, of drawing us into that. You know how you have a family album or pictures of your wedding, or we carry around and wear logos of our favorite team. We have all kinds of images that we use in our life that, well, they only remind us of somebody or something dear and special to us, whether it's an event, our favorite sports team, someone we love. It's not only reminding us, but it's also making them present to us in a very real way. I mean, we'll even take a picture of a loved one and even kiss it, hold it close to our hearts. It's the same thing with icons, with images of God, how much more so the God that we are to love above all else, that we can take something that helps to make that God present and real to us and to venerate it and to kiss it. In doing so, we're venerating the person that it represents, that it makes present on this earth. God gave us five senses. One of them is sight. That is so that we can see his glory on earth manifested through physicality, through the created order, especially through his son who took on human form and also through us as human beings made in the image and likeness of God. When we come back, we'll talk more about this council and the significance of imagery in the church and for our faith. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now 
by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. New from EWTN Publishing, A Crisis in Culture, How Secularism is Becoming a Religion by Father George Rutler. In this timely and penetrating book, Father Rutler shows how the West's decade-long cultural assault against Christianity is finally reaching its inevitable conclusion, the self-destruction of our culture and society. In Father Rutler's book, discover why the Catholic faith is the only means by which civilization can be restored, the difference between nostalgia and tradition, why the 20th century produced more martyrs than all previous Christian centuries combined, and what happens when we let the government, rather than the church, become our mother. These are some of the insights you'll gain in A Crisis in Culture, How Secularism is Becoming a Religion. Available now at EWTNRC.com. By Catholic, shop EWTNRC.com. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. We're talking about the place of imagery and how it makes present invisible realities and why there was therefore a seventh council that is celebrated by itself in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church because that council, although it was about art, vindicating art, seems strange for us today. Yes, vindicating art. In other words, the art that makes present the image of Christ through paint and color and stone and so on. Because to do that is to affirm that Christ himself did become incarnate. You see, we are visceral beings. We're kinesthetic beings. In other words, we use senses. We have physicality. It is through that physicality that we touch the divine. You see, God became visible precisely through the physical. God becomes real to us tangible. We can touch God. We can commune with him in the most intimate way with our entire beings. His being and our being come together. We can graft ourselves onto his very nature, as it says in the first letter of Peter, because he enabled that to happen through physicality. You know, how does an invisible God become visible? He has to have a vehicle for that, for us to be able to literally touch him with our physical beings. And that is through physicality. 
through imagery, through things we can touch, taste, see, and smell. We do that in all kinds of ways. I mean, it's not legal to burn an American flag, especially do so in public. You wouldn't desecrate an American flag. What do we do at a baseball game or where the flag is presented? We stand up, put our hand over our heart, and we usually sing a hymn. Does that sound kind of almost like liturgical? Yes. If we have a flag and we have to, maybe it's gotten old or tattered, we want to do away with it. We usually then burn it, but respectfully, or bury it. But we dispose of it in a way much like we would with sacred items. Why? It's just a piece of cloth, right? It's not part of a church or anything holy. It's a piece of cloth. Why would we do that? Do we worship cloths? No, it's what that cloth makes present. The reality that becomes so present through and only through that cross, through and only through that cloth. And so we do give a certain reverence to the cloth, not because the cloth is an end in itself, because of what it represents and makes present. Same thing with icons. If we could do that with an instrument of from the secular world, like a flag of a nation, why can't we do it with an image that makes God present? Now, just to show you just how important this is, this little news item having to do with one of the great centers of Byzantine imagery, the great church of Hagia Sophia, and also the what they call the Kora Museum or the Korea Jame. It's a, another church near Hagia Sophia. These are both in the Constantinople area, which is what I call Constantinople. It'll always be Constantinople to me, but it's today modern-day Istanbul, Turkey, a once mighty Byzantine center. The mother church of all Christianity is now turned back into a mosque. So the Greek Orthodox Church of the United States is petitioning the United Nations over Turkey's decision to convert the Hagia Sophia museum, it was called a museum since the 1940s, to convert it into a mosque or reconvert it into a mosque. It was originally a Byzantine church taken over by the Ottoman Turks in the 15th century, made into a mosque, then made into a museum, now reverted back to a mosque. The decision to convert the Hagia Sophia has drawn widespread international condemnation amid already heightened tensions with Turkey. The Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America said it was urging UN representatives in the areas of cultural rights, minority rights, and freedom of religion and beliefs to hold Turkey accountable for its deliberate policies to erase the cultural heritage of Orthodox Christians. Protesters wave flags and hold banners during a gathering near the Turkish consulate in Thessalonica. This was back in July. And they were protesting this the turning of the historic Hagia Sophia into a mosque after serving for more than 80 years as a museum. See, it's really sacrilegious, it was unfortunate to even turn it into a museum or anything that it is not. It is a consecrated, mighty, mighty mother church of Christianity. Imagine that. To turn it into a museum was basically, well, kind of a peacekeeping effort because there was a struggle over whether it was a mosque or a church. Well, it was a church. It should still be a church. The Turks, the Ottoman Turks, the Muslims at the time, basically stole it from us. It was a spoil of war. They came in in the 15th century and they conquered Constantinople, conquered the Byzantine Empire, and they claimed that Hagia Sophia, that great church, as a spoil of war and claimed it now as a mosque. That should not have been. They did not build it. It is not something done, built, created for their faith. But to keep the peace, centuries later, the ruler named Ataturk of the Turks he declared that it would now be a museum. He kind of secularized Turkey to try to make it more open to the West and also keep some of the peace because of the religious strife, you know, the Christians against the Muslims. 
The article says that by unilaterally changing the status structure and the name of these sites with particular significance to Orthodox churches, Turkey is in violation of its obligations under international law to preserve cultural heritage and to respect the political, cultural, and religious freedoms of Orthodox Christians in Turkey and abroad. Now, Hagia Sophia was built 1,500 years ago to be the cathedral and first church of the ecumenical patriarchate. Today, with a heavy heart, the archbishop said, we behold the historic and indeed essential Greek Orthodox Christian cultural heritage of Turkey being misappropriated with the conversion of Hagia Sophia into a mosque. To do so is to start down a path toward denial of history, a path that denies the future as well. Now, a month after Erdogan ordered the Hagia Sophia to be converted into a mosque, Istanbul's Church of St. Savior in Kora, a Byzantine church dating back to the 4th century, was also handed to the Turks' religious authority to be turned into a mosque. The church served as a mosque in the Ottoman Empire before it was turned into a museum in 1945. This event is a sad day because... Islam does, usually, when they take over Christian churches, is they either cover over semi-permanently or they just sort of block or cover over during certain times the great, great Christian art, the great incarnational art of Christianity that is in these churches, priceless art done centuries ago. Sometimes they whitewash it and cover over it completely. Now, it's never permanently gone unless you actually scrape it off the walls and destroy it, but Much of the ancient artwork in Hagia Sophia has in recent years been uncovered little by little because if nothing else, Turkey, a predominantly Muslim nation, realizes that it's good for tourism. People want to come to see the great beauty, the magnificence of this Hagia Sophia church. Hagia Sophia means holy wisdom. They want to see the great iconography and the mosaics, the frescoes. One of my favorites is that Cora Church, which is near Hagia Sophia. It was, like a, it was a monastery, and to me it has some of the greatest art, the Byzantine art of the world. I consider it to be, in a sense, almost like the Sistine Chapel of the Byzantine world. And to cover this up, not only does it disrespect the great cultural heritage of that country, but also of a religious people, the Eastern Christians, especially the Byzantine Eastern Eastern Christians, whether they're Orthodox or, as we are, Byzantine Catholic. And it covers over what helps to make God and the doctrine, the dogmas of the church, the angels, the saints, it helps to make all that present to us, tangible, to lift our spirits and our soul towards heaven, towards those saints and angels, towards what is lofty, towards our ultimate destiny. It really does help us. You come into these churches and you're, you're just awestruck. You're transported into something very, very special. In fact, that's how Russia and the Slavic lands are eventually converted. Emissaries went from those lands to look for a religion for their country. And they ended up adopting the Byzantine style of Christianity because it was so overwhelmingly beautiful. The churches, the art, the architecture, the singing, the liturgy, everything. And so they went back to their leaders in Russia, in the Slavic lands, and it was proclaimed that they would become then Byzantine Christians, the Byzantine style of Christianity. And that exists even to this day. Most of it in those lands, especially in Russia, are Orthodox, but it's the Orthodox version of the Byzantine rite. I know it's a little bit complicated, but the point is, is that the imagery had the power to convert 
nations. That's why it's so important, because it makes God present on earth and makes the invisible visible through the physical. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. (laughs) 